In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The Pharisees loved Moses. They loved his word because he was the mediator of God's law. The Pharisees loved the law, and they held to it vigorously. They used the law to measure their own righteousness, and their righteousness was beautiful. This beauty deserved to be on display before the people. So they stood in the best places in the synagogue. They put their righteousness on display everywhere they went. And all the people marveled at the beauty of the Pharisees' righteousness. It was the kind of righteousness that everyone wanted. They presented its beauty when they stood in the places of honor, showing everyone the precise and only way to worship. When they kept the Sabbath and prayed daily, when they tithed everything the Lord had given right down to their spice drawer. And so in today's gospel, Jesus comes to the people as a new Moses. Notice how his sermon begins. Seeing the crowds, Jesus ascended the mountain and sat down. And he opened his mouth and taught his disciples. Jesus is doing what Moses had done so many years before. He ascended the mountain and brought the Lord's word to the people. So Jesus is going to tell the people what God's will is. These are the words that the Pharisees love. His sermon text is the Ten Commandments, the very words we heard in our Old Testament today. So the Pharisees, out of their love for Moses, are eager to hear. And they also loved to hear others preach the commandments because it was another way for them to see the beauty of their own righteousness. Now the Israelites knew that the commandments in Moses' mouth were a fearful thing. In fact, we heard in our study this morning, we noted that when the Ten Commandments were given, that God gave them just speaking from the mountain, and the people heard these words unmediated. It was a fearful thing indeed. And yet, Jesus amplifies them. With Moses, the commandments are a high standard of righteousness, a righteousness attainable for only the most pious, most dedicated. But when these commandments come out of Jesus' mouth, no one escapes, not even the Pharisees. In the light of his preaching, their beautiful righteousness is as filthy rags. When Jesus applies the commandments, he doesn't relax the law like Moses did. In the mouth of Jesus, the law is fierce. Moses judged the outward act, but Jesus judges the heart. Moses couldn't condemn you for being angry when your brother sinned against you, but Jesus does. 
Moses couldn't hold you accountable for looking with lust or imagining in your mind. But if you keep reading, Jesus does. Moses permitted a certificate of divorce. But in this same sermon, Jesus also says that any divorce that isn't because of sexual immorality is adultery. With Jesus, the commandments are pervasive. The commandments cut deep all the way down to the heart. Now, some people have the mistaken notion that the God in the Old Testament was all about wrath against sin and that Jesus was all about love. But this text puts that idea to rest. And from what we've heard so far, we might even be tempted to believe the opposite error, to think that life under the Old Testament law was easier than life with Jesus or even Paul. But then Paul in today's epistle says that Christians are dead to sin. In other words, we might conclude that life with Moses is better than life with Jesus. That's what the Pharisees thought. They knew how to live under Moses, but they couldn't meet the standard that Jesus had set before them. Their facade of righteousness could stand up to Moses, but before Jesus, their wicked hearts lie naked and exposed. And what about you? Do you ever find yourself thinking that God will accept you because you've done some good things? Do you think that if only you are better than your neighbor, you'll be judged on a sliding scale? Do you think that he is satisfied with the mere appearance of righteousness? Do you think that the righteous beauty that can fuel fool men will also deceive God? He sees what you do in the dark. He knows what you think deep in your heart. He knows the shadowy depths of your desires. And Jesus, Jesus more than anyone else, he knows what the commandments mean. He knows that this is the way to apply them. Jesus is, after all, the one who spoke to Moses on Mount Sinai who inscribed the commandments into stone with his very finger. So when Jesus comes and preaches them, he's not adding to them. He's not bringing them to some kind of new conclusion. or He's not even amplifying or increasing them. Jesus is preaching the commandments as he always intended them to be applied. Jesus is preaching the law rightly. He has not come to abolish the law and the prophets, but to amplify them, to bring them to their fullness, to bring the law to its goal by showing you your sin, condemning your sin, and leaving you no hope in your own righteousness. This is why he gave the law. So if you wish to believe Jesus, then believe what he says about the law. Believe that he is using the law lawfully and let it have its way with you. 
Let Jesus use his law to bring you to the end. Let him use his law to show you that you of yourself do not have the righteousness that he demands. No sinner can stand up to the law's demands because the law demands not only the righteousness of hands, but the righteousness of mind, the righteousness of heart, the righteousness of will. So Jesus will preach the law in its full force. He doesn't pretend it's nice. He preaches the law to crush sinners, to empty them, to expose them, to kill them. With the instrument of his law, this is what Jesus does to you. But not because he is mean and not because the law is evil. The law is good. The law is God's will. And Jesus rightly uses his good law to expose your evil heart. You see, the law demands internal righteousness, righteousness by nature. So you need another righteousness, a better righteousness, a righteousness that you cannot earn or gain by your own works. You need a righteousness that is given. You need righteousness from the only one who is righteousness in himself. And this is what Jesus does. For in Jesus, the righteousness that God demands has come down to earth. He did what you could not and would not do. He obeyed the law in every part, fulfilling all that you are unable to do. He has taken your sin, your lustful and angry heart, and all the shadowy, deadly depths of your desires. And he gives you his own righteousness, innocence, and blessedness. He makes you righteous. It's what happens in baptism when you are buried and raised with Christ. He has washed you and spoken you clean, calling you by his own name. Baptized into his death, you belong to him and to his resurrection. And this righteousness that Jesus gives to you is beautiful. Far more beautiful than the righteousness of the Pharisees, beyond anything they could attain for themselves. For this is a righteousness born not of coercion and pride. This is a righteousness of love, a righteousness of faith, of grace and mercy and peace, a righteousness that is pressed down, shaken together, running over, poured out, and given over to you. For once again this day, God answers the prayer that you prayed in the intro it. The Lord is your strength and your shield. In him your heart trusts, and you are helped. Having washed you in his righteousness and holy baptism, and declaring you righteous in his absolution, he even now at this altar puts his righteousness into you. His righteous body and blood go into you, and again make you righteous. 
So you are in Christ, and Christ is in you. His righteousness is yours. This is what Jesus preaches to you in his sermon on the commandments. The righteousness that you need, you do not have of yourself. The righteousness you need, he graciously and abundantly gives. But in our discussion of this text, there's something I think we've missed. So if we are to begin to understand the commandments as Jesus does, we also need to see their context. Uh, you might have to bear with me for a minute, but we'll, we'll bring this back and we'll connect it to what we've covered so far. Now, the Lord, in giving the Ten Commandments, is not just laying out a list of behaviors. He's not, in a strict sense, giving commands. Instead, notice how Exodus starts. And God spoke all these words. The word we translated as words, debar, really just means word or thing. So God said these things. And throughout Christian history, there have been a number of different ways of numbering these things. But everyone agrees that there are ten so looking at the text, we might come up with maybe 13, maybe even 14 commandments. But the thing to point out is that the Jews understand the commandments differently. And for them, the first commandment sounds like this. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, doesn't sound much like a command, does it? It sounds more like a gift, more like a, a promise, more like an identity. That what God is doing in, the, in giving the commandments isn't just about exposing sin, but God is interested in the identity of his people. And Hebrew has the same ambiguity as English. An imperative and an indicative can sound the same. You will have no other gods. Can be just as much a command as in describing what ought to be, as it is a statement of reality. Describing what is the way that God designed the world to work. So we could even use our American political language and Think of these words as our spiritual constitution, the basis of who we are as God's people, which, by the way, is the same thing that St. Paul does in the epistle. He points us to our identity as the baptized children of God, that as you have been baptized into Christ, you have died, and sin itself is dead to you. And then you, as a member of the body of Jesus, you are also raised to new life in him. And so, what does all this mean? Well, it means that Jesus preaches these commandments to expose your sin, the parts of your life that belong to the old you, 
the parts of your life that are against the reality of who you are in him. And he gives you his own righteousness, constituting you as God's people. And you are no longer enslaved to sin. So now, with the righteousness of Christ, you are free from the law's condemnation. Now the law does not drive you to despair. In fact, as Christians, you begin to love God's law because you know that it is his good and gracious will for you. You desire to keep his words. You want the words given in our Old Testament to be a description of your life. You want to fear, love, and trust in no other God. You want to pray to him, to gladly hear and learn his word. You desire to love and to honor your parents, to help and support your neighbor in his bodily needs. You want to uphold the honorable state of marriage, to live a sexually pure and decent life. You want to protect and improve your neighbor's possessions and income to defend his reputation, to speak well of him. You want to be content with all that the Lord has given you. And so, as you are baptized into Christ's death and raised in his resurrection, as you have his righteousness within you, may Christ himself grant you to love his will and to do what he commands. In the holy name of Jesus, Amen. The peace of God keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.